If you have your Bibles, please turn to Job chapter 42, starting with verse 7. Uh, we're, this will be the, the last message on the book of Job. Uh, we've been going over quite some time, and uh, almost as if we have a friend in Job, we've learned much about him and what his adversities have been and what his integrity was. And while he may have had various uh, questions about God, he never did as Satan had accused him of, of cursing God because he was being blessed by God. And even when his health was severely stricken, he still did not curse God. His friends came to supposedly comfort and sympathize with him. And those three friends, and then later a fourth individual pops up. And then instead of sympathizing and comforting him, they judged him, they condemned him. And when he tried to explain that he wasn't who they said they were, uh, their theology of retribution principles was locked in, and it must be, and therefore he was a sinner and evil. And so we've gone through and seen the endurance of Job and what he's had to go through and how he had lost his finances, his business, his wife uh, said to curse God and die. Uh, like I said, his friends, instead of being there for him, uh, condemned him. And so God, as we've seen in the last few messages, uh, asked Job almost 70 different questions, getting to teach Job that God is God and Job isn't. And Job finally came to the conclusion that God can do all things, that nothing can thwart his will, and that he has understanding that, that Job did not and the Job said that he would remain silent and ask God to teach him. Now God goes from speaking to Job to speaking to one of Job's friends um, and basically uh, stating their error uh, to them. So in, in Job chapter 42, starting with verse 7, it says this, it came, about, it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, the three friends were so convinced that the retribution principle was correct that they could not see anything else about God, about his, his love and his mercy and his faithfulness and all those other attributes of God. They only honed in on one attribute, and they did not speak what was right about God. Now, there were times when Job had questions and didn't understand, was God being fair because he was not the sinner that his friends had accused him of being, that he was a man of integrity, and yet he was suffering these various things and thought if he could only explain to God what was going on, that God would, would justify him. But there were times, again, when Job would come to the right realization and saying that I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he'll take a stand and I will see him in my flesh with my own eyes and me and not another. So Job would make these statements of faith even in the midst of great suffering and pain and misunderstanding. But his friends didn't truly understand who God was. And so God says, you did not speak right about me. He didn't even say that he spoke wrong about Job. He said, you did not speak right about me. 
And we need to be very careful when we try to provide counseling and, and understanding to others that we speak the word of God correctly and fully. His, his friends had only talked about a certain section of who God was and would not fully explain who God was. And so therefore, they had not spoken what was right about God. And so he says that I'm going to, uh, in my wrath, I would correct you. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So God tells the three friends exactly what their mistake was, that they did not speak what was right about Job about God, and they were to take a particular burnt offering to offer for their sins, but they were also to go to Job and ask Job to intercede for them. Now, this would create in most situations, we as humans do not like to admit that we're wrong, and we, uh, and it's hard enough to admit we're perhaps wrong to God, but now what they've been accusing Job of, they're saying, God says, not only have you to offer these sacrifices, you're to go to Job, and Job is to intercede for you. Otherwise, God says, my wrath will be kindled, and I'll do to you what I intend to do, because you have not spoken what was right. So, in verse 9, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Temanite, went and did as the Lord told them. So again, they at least were willing to admit that the Lord was right and that they had sinned, and they did as God had commanded them to do. Even though there was a sense of, oh my, if you almost humiliation, sense of, I got to go to the one that I've accused of being a sinner, of being the person who was justified in receiving all of these adversities and that God should do even worse things to him, they're having now to come and say, okay, Job, you act on our behalf. So they have to come in that sense of humbleness to Job. And, it, and the Lord says, if you do that, that the Lord will accept Job. So he's saying, I'm not even going to accept your sacrifices. It has to be your sacrifices with going to Job, he interceding, and then I will accept that. So, it says this in verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. So I want you to see that God didn't start acting on rewarding and rewarding Job until after Job had done what God had told him to do and the, the three friends had done. So the three friends had offered the sacrifices, Job prayed for them, and then God accepted that. It wasn't that Job was wrong. God accepts that offering and that intercession on their behalf because of Job. There is, again, not that Job was the sinner, 
but by Job doing the offering, he and the prayer, he became that intercessor. Now, I find this interesting is that the Old Testament here is kind of teaching a New Testament principle, which is still in the Old Testament, in the sense of Job had a right to say, well, wait a minute, my friends weren't my friends. They treated me terribly. They condemned me. They judged me. They didn't provide sympathy or comfort. So why should I do that? Because the Lord teaches us that in order to be forgiven, we're to forgive. So Job does this, while it doesn't say so explicitly, the, the understanding is that Job prays on behalf of his friends, not because they were correct, but that he was going to forgive because that's what the Lord does. Job becomes an intercessor. He intervenes in between his friends and the Lord. There are other instances in the, in the scriptures which talks about being an intercessor. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 7, it says this. Well, and let me back up a little bit. The, the context here is that God had delivered his people, Israel, out of Egypt. He had crossed, they had crossed the Red Sea on dry land. He had provided for them. He had even conquered one nation. But with all this success and all this, they started complaining and backbiting about God and about Moses, saying, well, why did God bring us out here into this desert? Wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? And they just backbited and complained about what God was doing and what Moses was doing. And so God had had enough, and he sent serpents that would bite them, and there was these, it was a, like a fiery serpent. And so they were dying, and they were dying painfully from these these serpents. And so in verse 7, it says, So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. So at least the people understood where their sin had lied, that they condemned and complained against the Lord and Moses. So the one that had been a part of the complaints, they're asking now, to intercede. And Moses does so. He intercedes on behalf of the people and the servants are taken away. But again, there's that sense of the sin. Moses hadn't sinned. He could have said, not my problem, but he doesn't. Because of his commitment to the Lord and to his people, he intercedes for them. But God also does that for us as well. In Romans chapter 8, Verse 26, it says this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and me. Oftentimes when we're praying, we don't know how to pray. Or even when we think we know how to pray and tell God this is what we want, it may not be what is best for us. It may not be what the will of God is. So the Spirit intercedes for us and says, God, listen now to your will and do this for 
their people. And it's according to the will of God, and then God does it, and he intercedes. Because again, sometimes we think we know what's best. We think we have the answers, and in reality, we don't. We think, well, maybe if you remove this obstacle, everything will be wonderful. And maybe God is saying, that obstacle is refining you as pure gold. Or maybe this situation causes you to trust me more. And so we think sometimes that difficulties is a problem. And oftentimes those difficulties is what God is using to refine us to be more like Jesus, be more like him. And so the spirit intercedes for us to make sure that the prayers are what they ought to be according to God's will. Um, And so today you and I are receiving intercession by the Holy Spirit so that we might pray as we ought to. So continuing on in Job chapter 42, verse 10, it says this. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. So not only was Job placed back to where he was before the adversity and before the calamity, God gave him twice as much because he had followed what God had said and prayed for his friends. Then all of his brothers and all of his sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a gold, a ring of gold. Now I I find this a little bit amusing in the sense of when all these things happened, everybody abandoned him. The only three friends and the fourth person were only there to condemn him and judge him. His wife had said, you should curse God and die. That your breath, you have halitosis, you have bad breath. I don't even want to be around you. His family wasn't comforting him. His family wasn't there. He was financially destitute, and yet no one cared. They avoided him because when bad things happen, people want to stay away. And so everybody did. Now Job is being blessed. Everybody wants to fellowship with him. So again, we need to understand sometimes when we are involved in adversity, calamity, difficulty of circumstances, that oftentimes our friends, our family may abandon us. They abandoned Job. It wasn't until Job was being blessed again that he was being blessed by his family and his friends. Job certainly could have received comfort and consolation when he was going through the adversity, but they didn't give that to him until it was reversed. They didn't give him rings of gold and pieces of money while he was suffering financial adversity. It was once God started blessing him again. So again, don't be surprised that people might start blessing you after God has blessed you because that's just what people do. They stay away from difficult things. They want to be around when things are going well. So don't be surprised when you are alone You're alone, and when you have friends, suddenly you have a lot of friends. 
says the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. I'm going to go back to that. But Job had great riches, had a family that was united in love, that each of the seven brothers would have their family over and they would fellowship and they would eat and each would take a turn and then they would go right back. And Job, in his concern for his family, would offer sacrifices in case that his family had even done something accidentally wrong. They were a close, well-knit family. And he's saying that God says, the later days are even greater than the beginning. So like I said, I want to come back to that in a little bit. And he said, and he, Job, had 14,000 sheep because he had 7,000 before. And 6,000 camels because he had 3,000 before. He had 1,000 yoke of oxen. Before he had 500, a, a yoke is basically two, so he has 2,000 oxen. He has 1,000 female donkeys, which, again, he had 500 before. God had double-blessed Job in these latter days. He said he had seven sons and three daughters. Well, this is where God doesn't double-bless him. He blesses him with the same number of children. He gave him seven sons and three daughters. Although the difference now is this, he says, and he named, that being Job, the first Jemimiah, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Papuch. Apparently, these names mean beautiful. So he has, and, and we're going to be told, in all the land of women were found, were found so fair as Job's daughter. So no one was as beautiful as the three daughters of Job. Which means there's probably going to be a lot of suitors. Because number one, Job is rich. And people want to make sure that they marry into wealth. And so this is a situation where I'm sure that they have suitors because they want to get a rich father-in-law. But on top of that, they're beautiful. They're more beautiful than any other women throughout, which means they had to be knocked down gorgeous. You will. Celebrity models. They, they were just beautiful. And so God had blessed the same number, but he made sure that his family was even more desirable. So I said, not only this, he says, in all the land, no woman were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. In that day, only the male heirs would receive any inheritance, and usually the oldest son got the lion's share, if not all of the inheritance. Here, Job is wealthy, but not only that, he equally, or at least gives an inheritance to each of his children. So he blesses his daughters as well as his sons. So he treats them in such a way that they may also be blessed because Job was blessed. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons for generations. It didn't say Job lived 140 years. He said, after all of the adversity, after all the calamity, after all this was done, Job lived another 140 years, which meant after all of these things that happened and transpired, Job lived about twice as long 
as the oldest type of person during this time would have lived. So not only did Job have an abundance in financial blessings, God blessed him with days to be able to enjoy these blessings. And notice that he also had the opportunity to be blessed to see not only his sons and daughters, but his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and his great-great-grandchildren. He got to see them for 140 years. That is a blessing. My grandfather on my mother's side died when I was a baby. My grandfather on my father's side died before my father was even an adult. And then my father died when I was a child. So the idea of ever seeing grandchildren in my lifetime was not something I ever even considered. It was something that just not even thought of. And so for me to have the opportunity to see my grandchildren is a blessing that I would never expect it. And yet God has been kind to me to allow me to see that. Now, I don't expect, because of the age of my grandchildren, to see my great-grandchildren. But I've already been blessed because I've had an opportunity to see them. And imagine what it would be like for Job to be able to see four generations of his. And it seems to me those four generations were probably those who followed God. They knew who their father, grandfather, great-grandfather was, that he was a man of God, that he, even though he went through all of these calamities and adversities, he still stay true to following the Lord. Because it doesn't say, oh my goodness, my generations that followed me messed up. We see this sense of that he had the opportunity to enjoy his posterity. It says, and Job died an old man and full of days. A lot of people die, especially in our day and age, old, or at least what we think old. The older you get, the less old people seem to be. But there is a sense of people, because of medical technology and science, prolongs people's lives. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem that as people prolong their lives, that their lives are full of days. And that's a shame. We should take the day that we have, that the day the Lord has made, and that we might use it to the fullest, not just to achieve things, but to get to know God better. Get to know him better. But we should take full advantage of whatever days that God has given us, whether it's 70, 90, 140, that our days should be full. Not just with stuff, not with busyness, but full of life. Now going back to that statement that we saw in verse 12. 
The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginnings. Well, we see in a sense that Job was blessed because he got more stuff. He was more wealthy. He had his family back. He had his extended family that they came and in fellowship. And those days were greater and better than the beginning. But not all of us are like Job. Job, as we see, had great wealth, lost it all, and had even greater wealth. Some are similar. They're wealthy, they may lose it, and at the end are wealthy. Or there are those who may be wealthy and lose it all and die poor. Or there are those who are poor, become wealthy, and die wealthy. Or even those who are born poor through their entire lives and die poor. But in each of those situations, it can be true that the latter days are better than the beginning. Because as you get to know God, and as you walk with Him, and as you learn from him, and as you grow in him, you will soon discover that those days are more valuable, no matter whether you have great wealth or you're in poverty, because God has blessed you with that. When I was young, I remember somebody preaching, talking about Jesus coming soon. And I, like a lot of the other young people would kind of think, well, you know, we want to get married and we, we want to have kids and, and we want to live our lives. And then after we've had that opportunity, then Jesus can come. But the truth is, I've had a wonderful life with my wife of 50 years. She has endured much in my hands, and yet she's been faithful and true. She's been a good wife and a great mother, and she did all these things. And even after 50 years, I could say, it seems so short. It wasn't. But as great as my marriage was, and certainly it could have been better on my part, but as great as it was, it still would have been better for Jesus to have come and to be with him. Because it doesn't matter how great a house, how great a mansion one may acquire in this life, it never will compare to the mansion that he has prepared for us in glory. And even the worst shack in heaven far exceeds the best mansion in hell. Because God dwells in heaven, he does not in hell. And as I have walked this life, I have learned trust him more. I wish I could trust him even more than I have. But I know he's faithful and I know he's true and I'm trying to learn to do his will. 
but I am convinced well, I have been blessed all my life more than I ever deserved. My latter days will be better than the beginning. As he has promised me that I might dwell with him in his house forever. That this experience that I have now in life, even at the closest opportunity of being with him, and when you feel his presence, is nothing to be compared to what we will experience in heaven. So whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you started out rich and ended up rich or ended up poor, whether you were poor, ended up poor, or ended up rich, if you trust God, truly, 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 the latter day will be better and greater than the beginning. Because now we will see him face to face. What a blessing. How much greater is that? And all God's people said.